Hey, everybody. Welcome to Modern Day Debate. Today, we're talking about does the Christian God exist? And we're starting right now. Countdown to one, and then I'll start. Hey everybody! So welcome to Modern Day Debate. Today, we're hey everybody, about welcome to Modern Christian Day God Debate. Exist. Today, we're talking and we about have does both the of our Christian friends God here. Exist. We have and we're Zach, starting who right is now. on the positive side of does the Christian God exist, and we have the Converted Man who is on the non-positive side of does the Christian God exist. And so, pretty much right. the countdown right. 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 is countdown to one minute opening, an eight-minute rebuttal for each side. Then we'll have a forty-five-minute open conversation. Then after the open conversation, we'll have a hey everybody. Closing. So welcome to modern day. After the closing, today, we'll have a thirty hey everybody. Welcome to modern day. So be sure to say we have both of our friends Also for super chats, they're the first ones to go to the list automatically. And as soon as you put those in there, we'll put those on the list. Uh, of course, first come first serve. So be sure to send in those super chats if you want your questions to be uh, put on the list first. Um, also, we'll try to get to all the other questions after that. And with that being said, first of all, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Praise. Uh, he is actually working the background, so appreciate your praise. Thank you so much for that. And Zach, with you opening being on the positive side, you get first five to ten minutes. Whenever you're ready, your time is yours. Okay, I'll share my screen and um, I'll just get started. So thank you, everyone, uh, for tuning in. Thank you to Hunter for moderating Big shout out to Praise for all the behind the scenes work. And obviously love to see Dan here, that amazing beard, as we talk about the question of does the Christian God exist? Uh, so I'll go to my op opening statement here. Uh, so what do I mean by the Christian God? I have a quote here from Matt Slick that kind of gives a very nice summary of what Christianity is when we're referring to the Christian God. He says Christianity is religion based upon the teachings and miracles of Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Jesus is the anointed one from God the Father. He came to this world, fulfilled the Old Testament laws and prophecies, died on the cross, and rose from the dead physically. He performed many miracles, which were recorded in the Gospels by the eyewitnesses. He is divine in nature as well as human. He has two natures and is worthy of worship and prayer. Christianity teaches that there is only one God in all existence, that God made the universe, the earth, and created Adam and Eve. God created man in his image. So I'm going to give four cumulative arguments that are going to build up to the Christian God. The first one is that events that it wouldn't occur if metaphysical naturalism is true occur. Therefore, metaphysical naturalism is false. Uh, argument number two is the beginning of the universe points to a necessary being. Uh, point number three, the design of the universe points to a designer. And point number four, the best explanation of the facts regarding Jesus are his resurrection from the dead. Therefore, the Christian God exists. So the first point I'm going to make is supernatural events happen. If supernatural events happen, naturalism is false. Supernatural events happen. Therefore, naturalism is false. And I'm talking in a metaphysical sense here. A uh, supernatural event is an event that would not take place within the laws of nature. So I'm going to give a couple of examples from a couple of journals and some books of things that seem to be supernatural events. I'm not going to read all of this because it's a lot here, but I encourage you to pause and kind of talk about what's going on here. So uh, the first comes from Contemporary Therapies in Medicine. It says a male infant at two weeks of age was hospitalized, vomiting forcefully, did not improve with medical therapy. He was diagnosed with gastroparesis. And for 16 years, he was completely dependent on J-tube feeding. Uh, in November 2011, he received a proximal intercessory prayer. That's kind of a prayer where you'll lay hands on someone, uh, as we do in a Christian church. It says after his prayer experience, he was unexpected, unexpectedly able to tolerate oral feedings. 
Um, seven years later, he had been free of symptoms. And the literature here, it says that the, percent, the present case of a sudden lasting recovery from this severe refractory and lifelong gastroparietis is unique in li the literature. And in the end, there's insufficient evidence that the placebo effect can account for the observed resolution of symptoms. Another case comes from uh, the book's Closer to Light and Transformed by Life. I believe it's Dr. Jeffrey Long who doesn't write this book, but he's also done a lot of work regarding the science of near-death experiences. Uh, and what you can see here is someone who is profoundly comatose. Uh, and through this, you can see the doctors who talk about when I first saw her, her pupils were fixed and dilated, meaning that an irreversible brain damage was likely occurred. But only three days later, the girl surprisingly revived and made a full recovery. And the amazing part about the story is Katie began repeating incredible wealth with specific facts regarding the emergency room, her recitation, and even physical descriptions of the two physicians. Uh, Morse, the doctor, confirmed that a child with Katie's symptoms should have had absence of any brain function and therefore should comprehend nothing. But to the complete opposite, Katie recalled these recent details for an almost event for almost an hour. Katie correctly reported very specific details concerning the clothing positions of each of her family members, identified a popular rock song that her sister listened to, observed her father, and then watched while her mother cooked dinner. Uh, she even identified the correct food, roast chicken and rice. So, I mean, if you want to argue that these events occur naturally, I think if these are just the one or two events that happen, I could see that. But I think uh, when you dive into the literature, there's things like this that happen all the time, which makes me believe that naturalism is false. Uh, second argument is the beginning of the universe points to a beginner. Uh, so this is kind of an adaption of a cosmological argument. Uh, six points here. Here's the first three. If something has a finite past, its existence has a cause. The universe has a finite past. Therefore, the universe has an existence of its cause. And then here it says, since space-time originated within the universe, and therefore similarly has a finite past, the cause of this universe's existence must transcend space-time and must have existed spatially when there was no universe, a temporary. If the cause of this universe's existence transcends space-time, no scientific explanation in terms of the physical laws can provide a casual account of the origin of the universe. And if no scientific explanation can provide a casual account of the origin of the universe, the cause must be personal, uh, explanation is given in terms of a personal agent. This argument, if you want to look at it a little bit more, comes from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, not something that you just Google and find from a random blog online. Uh, the third argument is the fine-tuning argument. Uh, the fine-tuning is in the university is due to either physical necessity, chance, or design. It is not due to physical necessity or chance. Therefore, it is due to design. You, I'm sure, as part of modern day debate, you've heard this argument a bunch of times. Uh, examples of fine-tuning. Here's just a couple broad ones. There's many different constants and many people a lot smarter than me um, in astrophysics or related fields. We'll talk about these things. Uh, Dr. Barnes is one that comes to mind uh, as I think about this. Uh, so here's a couple. Gravity. It interacts with how objects move. You have the electromagnetic force, which talks about how electrons interact in the strong nuclear force, uh, which talks about what atoms would exist. Uh, so I think that through these constants, we can see that our universe has some sort of uh, fine-tuning. Most cosmologists would agree that these constants don't have to be the way they are, and if they varied by slight percentages, depending on the constant, we live in a very different universe. Well, we wouldn't even live, most likely. Uh, so supporting premise one, uh, these are the only potential explanations given the current data. Uh, if you want to propose something like a multiverse, we need evidence, not just a theory. Uh, supporting premise two, uh, there's no good reason to believe that the universe physically isn't this there's no physical necessity for the fine tuning. I know that Dan has brought this up in some of his previous dialogues, and I am more than willing to discuss this if you would say that it might just be this way. Um, and then obviously the idea of chance is extremely improbable. Like we're talking winning the lottery over and over and over again. 
And point four, historical facts point to Jesus' resurrection. I'm sure that you've heard the minimal facts by Gary Habermas. I think that with the evidence in mind that there is some sort of supernatural aspect to reality and a necessary being that is the foundation of our universe, we can look at these minimal facts being that Jesus died by crucifixion, that very soon afterwards, his followers had real experiences they thought were actual appearances of risen Jesus, that their lives were transformed as a result, even to the point of being willing to die, specifically for their faith in the resurrection message, that these things were taught very early after their crucifixion, uh, that James, Jesus' unbelieving brother, became a Christian due to his own experience, and that he thought was the resurrected Christ, and point six, that the Christian persecutor Paul formerly saw Tarsus also became a believer after a similar experience. And I'm sure you've heard all the different theories. I'm not going to really take the time to dive into these because I'm sure most of you have talked about hearing different theories, whether it's the hallucination and the line of the disciples, the disciples still the body, things along those lines. And I think for various reasons that we could discuss if Dan wants to, all those theories fail. And the best explanation for the facts, given the idea that a supernatural event can occur, is the res Jesus' resurrection from the dead which would verify Christianity. Uh, last thing I want to hear, this is not an argument, but I want to talk about, let's just say that I'm right, the Christian God exists. What, what's the result here? Uh, a couple of verses here. If Jesus rose from the dead, Christianity is true. First um, Corinthians 2, 9 says, well, I, no eye has seen, no, no ear, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. And C.S. Lewis in The Last Battle, uh, Narnia is an amazing series. If you haven't read Narnia, probably want to get off here and read Narnia, great books. Uh, he says, I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for my whole life, though I never knew it until now. Come now. Further, come further up. Now, come further in. Sorry for my bad pronunciation there. So with that, I want to say that for me, Christianity isn't just an intellectual argument at the end of the day. Uh, thankfully, because I believe it's true, we have some amazing things in store for us if we choose to put our trust and repent of our sins in Jesus Christ. And with that, I yield the rest of my time and I'm Really pumped to see what Dan has in store. All righty, thanks for that. Okay, Diga Verdeman, you have your 10 minute opening. Okay, wow. <clears throat> All right, so first, uh, I must clarify that by exist, I mean as something other than simply an idea or object of the mind. Objects of the mind would include numbers, letters, and musical notes. These are concepts that exist solely in the mind and nowhere else. If God is simply an object of the mind, then its existence is rather a moot point. We are told things about the Christian God that are contradictory in nature. For example, he has no gender or sex, yet it is the Father in heaven, hallowed be its name. We are told that it wants a relationship with us, yet it's only found by looking for this God in the right holy book of the right religion and in the right way. This God wants all to be saved, but the mechanism only lets a few be saved. Jesus says that no laws are to be done away with, but also there's only one law that replaces all the laws. Yahweh started by picking the Jewish people as his chosen people, but Jesus wants anyone to be saved as long as you're part of the Jesus tribe. And also you didn't commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. However, not all claims are equal, even among Christians. Some claim it's not good enough that you believe in Jesus. You have to also be baptized. Some claim you have to be baptized in a certain way. Some claim you have to speak in tongues. Who's right? What system do we use to sort it out? There's no system in Christian theology that tells you who is right. <laughs> That's a perfect system, right? So what we have for the Christian God is an assertion that cannot be falsified. The concept is one presented, broadly speaking, 
as one that has no empirical observation, it is possible. We cannot see it at all, not with any machine or the human eye. It can only be seen in the mind's eye. It could be felt or hallucinated or visualized, perhaps, but not by all, only by the single person. Second, we have something that is presented as non-testable. No many how, how, how many believers you get together earnestly to pray for my lobster to levitate into the air, it will not happen. The world could all pray and plead to all the gods, spirits, souls, angels, demons, devils. They could all do all the magic rituals, and it would not budge an inch. I can say this with a certainty as if it was possible to demonstrably demonstrate God via any controlled test, it would be science proper. No one has done this. I wager no one ever will. The believer can simply say that God doesn't want to be tested or is not willing to be tested. How dare we mere mortals demand this God stoop to our level to allow us to test it? So then we have a proposal of an entity that's not verifiable by normal methods of testing or observation. What do we have? Well, we have bad arguments. Arguments that rely upon unknowns, gaps in knowledge, claims that are not warranted, pseudoscience, and other problems. An argument is not and cannot be proof or evidence. The proof or evidence would be perhaps in one of the premises. But when we look at those, we still have to look at reality to know if the premise is valid and sound. So we're still stuck looking to the empirical methodology to resolve if it is or is not true in the first place. That apologists have nothing to offer but debunked, broken, rehashed arguments, I submit as reason enough to be skeptical of their conclusions. Well, what about historical records? Well, if there's extraordinary events in them, then they're typically regarded as myth. People flying, coming back to life, walking on water, all such things have never been observed under controlled traditions today, and so we must place the Bible into the category of mythology. You have to prove it somehow that strange events are possible before that we could grant any of them. If we ask ourselves only what are the facts and what truth do those facts bear out by looking solely and only at the facts, how far we might go then. I shall summarize all I've said with the following syllogism. Premise one, objects of the mind are not empirically verifiable and or testable. Premise two, the Christian God is not empirically verifiable and or testable. Conclusion, the Christian God is an object of the mind. I'd also like to add that this might apply to other God ideas out there, but it depends what any given person says what God is, and that's a whole other problem to, that is unresolved. What is God? How can we know it's anything? Someone wrote what it was? It's not good enough. God, if it is a thing, doesn't seem to fit to let us know that it is a thing in the same way at the same time in a way that we would all know for sure because of reasons because we have no empirical evidence no repeatable tests and no valid and sound arguments we must be skeptical of this conclusion that's it <laughs> all righty okay so the next part here will be eight minute rebuttals and adherent whenever you're ready your time begins Awesome. Thank you, Dan, for that opening statement. A lot of fun, a lot of good points to respond on here. Uh, the first part, you bring some um, supposed oxymorons in the Bible describing different characteristics. With God, you say God has no gender, yet he's male. Um, I would agree with you. God has no gender, and we use the term God the Father kind of uh, imagery 
uh, to represent a heavenly father. Christians don't actually believe that God is a male. Uh, it's just not a good argument. Uh, you say that we need, what, is it, what does it mean to have the right relationship with a specific God? I think one of the things that you misunderstand here is that I think you're objecting to the exclusive, exclusivity of Christianity, which I think kind of goes against, we have the law of non-contradiction. For example, uh, the Bible says that Jesus rose from the dead. The Quran says that Jesus did not rise from the dead. They deny that he was even crucified, I believe. Um, so obviously these both religions can't be true. One has to be right. Um, the exclusivity of Christianity doesn't have anything to do with whether it's true or not. It's just kind of a basis of it doesn't prove any point. Uh, you say God picked the Jews, but then Jesus wants everyone um, to be saved. I think you're trying to show this is some sort of contradiction. I think that, I don't know how much you've read the Bible, Dan. I know you were converted at one point, but if you read the Bible, God didn't pick the Jews because he wanted only the Jews to be saved. In Second Timothy, it talks about and many other places where God wants everyone to be saved. Um, he picked the Jews to fulfill a specific purpose. Uh, you can see that in the covenants, whether it's the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant. You can see these different covenants that um, God uses the Jews to fulfill different purposes, which ends up leading into the new covenant with Jesus. Um, so I think from the beginning of time, God wanted everyone to be saved. Uh, Dan says there's many different Christian denominations and beliefs. That's very true. I was also talking with an atheist a few days ago, and there's also a bunch of different beliefs within atheism. So if we're going to say that just because there's different beliefs, we should dismiss the belief, I would say we should also dismiss, dismiss atheism. But regarding uh, the specifics of, yes, there are many different Christian denominations. Some say we can speak in tongues. Some say we can't. Some would say that the Bible should be taken literally in passages such as Genesis 1. Others would say we have a different kind of interpretation. None of these things relate to the truth of whether or not Christianity is true. In 1 Corinthians, we see a specific claim where, Jesus, where Paul writes, if Jesus not rise from the dead, our faith is in vain. Christianity is based on a falsifiable, falsifiable fact, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which goes against your idea that you say Christianity is unfalsifiable. I believe that if the early Jews at the time dug up Jesus' body, Christianity, or not dug up, they'd go to the tomb. Christianity would have been false. Oh, did he freeze up on us? Ah, looks like my prayer to Satan finally came through. Uh-oh. And Aaron, can you hear us? <laughs> what do we do? Panic! <laughs> Way of finding there he goes. He's coming in slowly yet surely. Maybe you could pray to God. Well, I may not even know what's happening. Hey, can you hear us? All right, I'm back. I think you lost me for a second. Am I back? Yep, you're back. Go ahead. Yeah, I can hear you. Dude. I think you lost me for a second. All right, I'm sorry for whatever happened, um, but I'll just continue where I was up. Um, arguments aren't empirical evidence sure arguments are not empirical evidence but we use arguments in our everyday lives for example we have no empirical evidence that muhammad existed we can't dig up his body or anything like that but there are very strong arguments to show that muhammad did in fact exist um just because something can't be empirically demonstrated doesn't mean that it's false for example I, i'm from state college pennsylvania and a few years ago we had the very tragic uh, scandals that happened with a coach who did some horrific things to some young boys and the whole case was built on just arguments in the beginning. It wasn't based on empirical evidence. So if we were going to only use empirical evidence, there's a good chance this terrible person would not be behind bars at this moment. Um, it says God's existence is untestable. Uh, sure, we can't empirically test God, but I don't 
see why that is any sort of objection against the existence of a Christian God. Just because something is untestable doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Uh, you should only be proven. You should only believe what is proven to be as true. Knowledge is a self-defeating statement. You can't empirically, empirically prove that statement is true. I'm also a little confused what he means by testifiable. It's a very broad idea. Uh, a philosopher of science named Michael Stenmark, he writes in Rationality in Science, Religion, and Everyday Life. Uh, he's a philosopher of science. He's not just some dude off the street. He says, after intensive discussion, the consensus among philosophers was that religious belief in their linguistic expression they must be treated as meaningful statements. If arguments aren't evidence, why do we have lawyers? Why do we have debates in academia? Why are we even debating if arguments aren't evidence? It, just, it seems nonsensical to me. Um, he says that if we assume that something recorded in the past cannot occur, it's a, uh, I think just an assumption. I don't know if historians would actually agree with what Dan's saying. Um, historians have no idea how Hannibal crossed the Alps, but I mean, I personally believe that Hannibal still crossed the Alps. Um, and if something cannot occur, cannot is a subjective statement uh, regarding his specific context. Last thing, he gets into a little bit of a syllogism where he argues that the Christian God is an object of the mind. Uh, in the past, I've seen in other work of Dan, it says that everything has a broad scope. You can't use the term everything unless you know everything. Um, but in, in a syllogism, he uses the words everything. So I'm curious what, what, what I'd be curious what Dan's thoughts are. Um, there's many things we believe in that don't have repeatable tests. Uh, for example, the Big Bang, evolution, events in history. Uh, these things can't be repeated. These things cannot be tested scientifically, yet we still believe them. Um, if, if you say science is the only way to the truth, this is not an empirically verified statement, nor repeatable. Um, thank you, Dan, for your opening statement. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to the rest of what you have to say. And with that, I yield the rest of my time. Okay, thanks for that. And just real quick, Deconverted Man, before you go, have a bit of an announcement that today, uh, for today's debate, the Super Chats are actually going to uh, children in poverty. So be sure to utilize those Super Chats because all Super Chats will be going to children um, in need today for poverty. So again, be sure to use that uh, Super Chat uh, as much as you guys like. Uh, we don't get a single bit of it because it's all going to children, okay? And Deacon Freddy Man, when you're ready, eight minutes is your time. Yeah, there's a lot to deal with. Uh, since my opponent decided to use some shotgun tactics. But regardless, uh, God is X. Well, you know, God is this thing that Matt Slick happened to say that God is. Well, not all Christians agree with what God is or how God works. Not everybody believes in the Trinity, for example, and yet they're Christians. In fact, not every Christian believes that Jesus rose from the dead. So you might say, well, they're not true Christians. But of course, what is a true Christian? Everyone has a different idea. That's the problem you have with this system. Uh, how do you identify a supernatural event? You mentioned uh, this couple different examples. How do you know that they're supernatural rather than natural? Well, they can't be natural. How do you know that? What's the system that you're using to verify it? Uh, there's nothing ever been verified that we would call supernatural. Um, none of the things that are submitted as supernatural have ever been observed in a in, in some sort of controlled environment. Uh, these are not testable things. So if we could get the person to come back to life or have their brain healed every single time they were prayed for, that would be something or more often than we would expect by chance alone, that would be interesting. That would make this testable. And if it was uh, more uh, active, more accurate than medical science alone, then we would use it 
more often than medical science or in conjunction with it, but none of these things have ever been shown to be uh, anything other than just stories. Um, there's rarely, or I don't even know if there is video evidence of any of these sort of events. Uh, you know, like, oh, they were sick. Well, how sick were they? Or they had this or that disease. Well, that's great. This is all just written down. Somebody wrote a story. Where's the verification of it? You know, how long were they in the hospital? Do we have the medical records? Do we have the doctor's records? Did, do, why is there no audio video recordings of any of this? It's just all stories. Um, so there's nothing there that's all mundane. The body can and does heal on its own. We understand this mechanism. Uh, have somebody regrow a truth and or arm and then I'll be impressed. Uh, there's no beginning of the universe because there isn't time yet. So you can't say beginning. It doesn't make sense. Uh, Kalam's a broken argument. I've debunked it myself. Others have done better. Some have done worse. It's just garbage science and garbage logic, and I don't have time to debunk it. But I do have a video called KCA where I go over it so you can see that. Uh, Fine-tuning proves nothing. The weak anthropic principle, of course, we would be in a universe that allows for life. It would actually be interesting if the opposite was true. That would actually mean something to me. Uh, but, you know, of course, we're in a universe that has, you know, life adapted to fit the universe. And uh, if we were in a different universe, there's nothing saying that life would not adapt to that. Now, some say, well, not like our life. Well, sure, but other life, we don't know. We don't have the, the computer simulations for those other universes uh, to, to point out. We only have the sample size of this universe, and the numbers just don't mean anything. Um, there's no evidence for the resurrection, not at all. We have, uh, there are no minimal facts. This is just based on copies of a story that were transmitted orally before that. Paul's completely and wholly irrelevant. Anyone could claim anything, doesn't matter. Uh, and it all just begs the question because it assumes the biblical account is true rather than just a legend or mythology as it's properly uh, categorized as mythology. Um, and of course, the uh, Narnia is not real, neither is the God of the Bible, and you can have amazing things in store if you believe in me, because I can say that too. Yay! Read the Lobsterist it is the one true only religion. Claims like this are a dime a dozen. That's my rebuttal. All righty. Thank you so much for that. And just a reminder for everybody, if you'd like to see more content from both of our speakers today, their description, I'm sorry, in the description, their link is there if you'd like to go check them out. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe if you enjoy this type of, um, you know, dialogue, if you enjoy these types of debates and everything and you want to see more, we would really appreciate it. So now what we're going to go into is the 45-minute open conversation. And so the floor is all yours, guys. You got 45 minutes to just annihilate each other. So y'all go right ahead. Well, everything you said I don't know. Dan, Dan's a pretty cool dude. I don't know if I could <laughs> annihilate him. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, Dan. You want to you lead off, Dan? You're welcome if you want to. I have some points I'd love to address, too. So whatever you want. Uh, you mentioned – Something about the, 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 let's go back to the syllogisms because uh, that's the most interesting of thing for me. Uh, you, you, you had some objection about mine uh, or you wanted some clarification on. So do you want me to redo the syllogism for you? 
Sure. I mean, if you want to, that, that may help. Yeah, because you had some some objection to it or something you want to clarify. So I said, premise one, objects of the mind are not empirically verifiable and or testable. Uh, premise two, the Christian God is not empirically verifiable and or testable. And the conclusion is the Christian God is an object of the mind. So you mentioned something about universals, although you didn't call it that, but I know what you're referring to, I think. Uh, so what what uh, what would be your objection in regards to say premise one or in general or what clarification did you want yeah for sure man um, so the first thing i'm curious are you are you a proponent of the, the principle of empirical verifiability as uh the only things are that you can believe are things that can be empirically verified no and i didn't say that but uh, uh i i are so were you not you didn't want clarification on this syllogism or no, I, I do. I just think I think that the principle of empirical verifiability is just verifiability. Is it something that's in that seems to be in your argument a little bit that I see. Mm. Um, not directly, but it seems like kind of the basis behind what's going on here. Not really. Um, you know, I allow for empirical evidence, repeatable tests. Uh, you could also say the scientific method, I suppose, uh, and or a valid and sound argument. But I don't have. But the problem is that. I doubt that one could have a valid and sound argument without having a way to verify that it was valid and sound. Uh, so that would rely then again on some way to verify that the premise was in fact valid and sound. So you'd still have to rely on some methodology and that methodology might have to be empirical uh, and or testable in some way, shape or form. And if not, then how do you know it's true? This is, you know, you'd, you'd run into some major problems and potential fallacies. But it's possible that somebody could come up with a valid and sound argument. I've never heard one for God, but I'm still waiting. Okay, well, maybe we'll get to that in a few minutes here. But I do, I do want to say that I think that you can't just assume just because there's no empirical evidence or something that's testable that it's an object in the mind. For example, events in history, um, how do I know that the election of Abe Lincoln happened? I can empirically verify it. Um, it's not testable, so it must be an object of the mind. Uh, take something like the, the theory of evolution. Um, I'm not like- Yeah, that is, testi that is testable, that, by the way. But you can't so. It is testable. So you're wrong there. It's, it's absolutely testable, well, so. Yeah. I don't know. Now, I historical events, really historical cool. events will grant tentatively that that those are ones you you have to view as plausible but not but not ones that that are extraordinary the mundane ones you could think well that probably happened or that could have happened but you have to have some some documentation so that would be the that would be in the vein of empirical evidence if not direct empirical evidence in that case but you'd have something that that leads to the uh, corroboration of the events at hand. And nobody claimed that Abraham Lincoln came back after he was shot at the theater. So what too soon? Uh, so, you know, there's nothing there to be skeptical about, but if the gone, if gone with the wind was not labeled as a, a non real book, you could claim that it was history, but there's, there's a historical methodology that examines those sort of things and, and can deduce 
using using methodology that is rigorous that would be that would satisfy the conditions of of verifiability whether it be testable or historically valid to say well this does you know yes these characters could have existed but we have no records of them we have no this we have no that there's no archaeology to support it or what have you and and then you would you would have doubts that those events happening uh, having them happen in such a well-recorded way with an all-seeing narrator kind of uh, tips the hand that we kind of know that it's not meant to be a historical record. So there's ways to verify history uh, that would fall within that category. But good catch. <laughs> yeah, so this argument kind of with what you're saying here kind of seems like special pleading to me because you're adding this kind of assumption that uh, that what well, you're saying that there's you, something's an object of the mind um if it's not empirically verified but now you've just added historic you can verify things through a historical methodology yeah um, for yeah, example yeah. the question of god um i'm not argue i'm not arguing that this highlighter right here is god and i mean if i did then you can verify it you can study yeah it. right we don't that have a god to verify maybe there's someone out there that Maybe yeah, that's kind of the we claim that, but that's, that's not kind of I'm the claiming. problem that God um, isn't think, here to verify. I think empirical evidence is kind of is the best. Well, that there's, there a is. Lot of, there's a lot of things that we believe in that aren't empirically verified. Really, um, like what? Like events in history, like I just brought up. Well, and again, I said that there's methodology that is empirical in nature that you can examine. I mean, I, I guess I could the have problem, been pandemic and included it in my syllogism, so I'll, I'll grant that. But, you know, uh, the thing is, the, the point that I made about history was when you have something that, you know, whether it's written today or yesterday, it doesn't matter, where somebody claims something like some, you know, such and so flew off the building on their own without a jetpack. I mean, yeah, they just flew away like Superman. Okay, um, and what evidence do you have of that? Well, he wrote it down. That's not, you know, obviously that would be mythology. That would be uh, something that we couldn't verify because we have no example of anyone that can actually fly. So Muhammad supposedly rode on a flying horse. Well, we've never seen a horse that can do this. So we have no reason to think that, that this is a thing that can happen today and why would we think it can happen in the past? Uh, there's just no, there's no reason to think that it could. So we have to categorize it as mythology. So, you know, there's plenty of uh, ancient stories and even modern stories where magical, miraculous, you know, wondrous things are claimed that we have no actual example of. So because of that, we have to be skeptical until we can demonstrably demonstrate it's even a category it's not a category. It's like, well, the supernatural is this category. Okay, great. How do you know that? How do you identify it? What's the methodology? Because you're talking about something that, that you could somehow verify, but then on the same hand, well, but you can't because you have to just know that it's a super, how do you know? What's, and that went to my question was, you know, how do you know when something is supernatural? What's the methodology that you or anyone else would utilize to identify any event as as non-natural? How would you how would you determine it? Okay, Dan. Uh, a few points you bring up here that I'm 
very skeptical of what you're saying. Uh, it seems like what you're going through here is you, you only believe something if it's empirically verified, um, which is with contemporary philosophy, you're at odds with most philosophers. Nah, I'll read a couple care. quotes for you. Um, first nah, off, I don't just, care. For, Doesn't first, matter. Well, I, I mean, I think you should care. Cause, I mean, if, it's irrelevant. Yeah, philosophers can say whatever they want. Of dead God no, that, that, I don't care what philosophers said. What? It doesn't matter. What's the truth? You know, it's interesting. I asked a question and you didn't answer it. I've asked several questions you haven't answered. It's interesting. Well, How do you identify a supernatural you didn't event? You give me a chance yet. So. Well, do you have a way to identify a supernatural event? That's a good question. Sure. I mean... I think that C.S. Lewis gives a very clear definition of what a miracle would be in his book, Miriam. He talks about a miracle or a supernatural event, as you would speak, is a supernatural force interve intervening to cause an event, which would only, it wouldn't occur within the laws of nature. That's a definition. Um, that's, how do you, in a how do you, sense, that's what I'd argue is a supernatural event. Great. It's now an show event it. That wouldn't have happened if we just had the normal laws of nature. Okay. Play. Then uh, how do so you identify example, that? Yeah, so we look at the evidence and see what's the best explanation. For example, in my opening statement, I, I gave a couple of scenarios. No, 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 here, no, 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 um, not, not, not that. I'm asking how you identify that it, the thing it, is it supernatural. Dodging the question. How do you identify that X is a supernatural? How's that dodging event? the question? Because they're not answering the question. How do you identify you that something is supernatural in the first place? What's the methodology? How do you identify something super, yes. you know, supernatural? You look at it and you see, would this event occur if just the natural laws were in play? And how do you how do you know if it wouldn't that occur the, event, the natural laws in, are in play? How do you know that the natural laws are not in play? Well, because the natural laws would have no explanation for why this event occurred. How do you know that the natural laws have um, no explanation so for the event? Well, in the case that I cited in this paper, they said that this um, unique case of a healing of gastroparesis. Yeah, we didn't we didn't observe that. So that's that never happened in the literature before. So, and how do you know that's not just what the body did um, on its own? I don't own? think that's true. What I what? How do you know that that's a miracle? In a medical in journal by doctors who were a part so what? of the case. So what? I don't happened. know that it's a miracle. I think the best explanation you, okay. is that it's a miracle. Ah, so you you think that the best explanation is a miracle, but you haven't ruled out, you haven't demonstrated that the supernatural is a thing, which is the whole problem. You're saying it's a thing because you have no other explanation. That's, of course, well, an appeal to ignorance, which is what all of it is based on. Oh, it's a miracle. Why? Well, we don't know how else it could have come about. Well, that's just ignorance. The body can heal. It's amazing. It does it. We know that. And show us something actually that, that breaks the laws of physics as we understand them. Why hasn't God healed amputees or regrown teeth or heal scars? God seems unable and or unwilling to do anything that nature alone couldn't account for. Seems a little suspicious. And it's also interesting how God's playing hide and seek where you know, these events will happen, but they won't ever happen under, under controlled conditions where we could absolutely verify that the only explanation would be some non-testable idea that we call miracle. You haven't identified how do we identify miracles yet.
You say, well, you have it when you have no explanation. Okay, so then a miracle is when you have to appeal to ignorance. Got it. Sounds good to me. Okay. Uh, can, I, can I talk now? Okay. Uh, so there's a few points. There's a few points that I want to hit on. First, I want I, we're transitioning into this idea of the argument for miracles, but there's a few points on the idea of evidence that I want to hit on before we go back there because I think that I wasn't given a chance to really respond. Um, I think that the idea that only things that we can believe in are things that are empirically verified once again are false. Uh, the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy says that what evidence is is evidence. It says that evidence, whatever else it is, is the kind of thing Appeal which makes a difference to what one policy. is justified in believing. Yeah, that's I don't nice. think that's true. I'm just reading a definition. I'm giving you a philosopher's definition. I, I, I don't. And your yeah. definition. It's an appeal to definitions. Logical fallacy. Try again. So, I mean, if you're trying to make a point, you yeah, fail. I don't think it's just a lot. Well, I mean, you don't have to think it's a logical fallacy. It is a logical cool. fallacy. So, what's your point? How is it a logical fallacy? How is it a logical fallacy? Well, it's, it's within the informal logic set of logical fallacies. Appeal to definition. When you how appeal so? to X definition and say, well, this is how the is way that... The, how is it a fallacy? Look it up. Now, do, do, I mean, I can, tell, I can try to explain it to you. I'd love to. Um, that I mean, you know, an appeal to definition is saying X dictionary says Z, therefore that's the definition. But then you just said, and I don't even agree with that. Then why use it then? But it completely, uh, it completely dodges again the the main core of of this, which is epistemology. How do we know that X is true in the first place? And that's that's really the core of of this debate and all debates like this is how do we know that this is a thing? And I've asked multiple times, how do you identify this thing as being a supernatural? And, and so far there hasn't been any sort of actual answer other than, well, this thing, and you, know, you, you wish washed over it as if it doesn't. And then you're complaining about empirical methodology, which I said, not only the empirical method, but also tests, there's there's more to it. And also a logically valid argument would be useful as well. So I have three things and so far, none of those have been satisfied. And instead of just complaining about it, just give me one of the three then. And if you don't have it, that's really odd. It's interesting that, that you don't have any empirical evidence or verifiable test or repeatable test or even a valid and sound argument for this thing that you believe in. So what do you got other than your broken arguments? Well, I think you're making a lot of assertions here without a lot of evidence. Um, but the, well, I do want to say that- That's what the Bible's full of. You keep bringing up that- Dan, can I, can I finish what I say before you interrupt me, please? I, I'm trying to be okay. patient letting yeah. you say everything that uh, you want to say. Yeah, slow to anger. Yeah. All right, just let me finish my statement, please. Um, without, just without interrupting uh -huh. me. Go ahead. Even though, yeah, answer uh, the question. You're Go a very ahead. smart guy. You obviously have a lot to say. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you, you talk about this idea that for something to be verified, again, you're saying that we need a repeatable test or empirical evidence or something along those lines, and mm -hmm. I just don't think that's necessarily true. Obviously, we need evidence. We need sufficient reason mm -hmm. to believe something, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be empirical. The philosophy of science has gone past this idea that we just, 
everything has to be testable and repeatable and things like mm. that. Um, Mikkel, Mikkel Stenmark says, after intensive discussion, the consensus among philosophers is that we're That's not a scientist. That feels the wrong authority. Yeah, how about, how about an actual scientist rather than a philosopher? You got anything there? Because appeal to wrong like authority just, doesn't just a scientific matter. The existence of God just isn't a scientist. Ah, there we go. I'm appealing to a philosopher. Yeah, exactly. That's the wrong authority for what the it's philosophy is. Yeah. No, well, in this case it is because we're saying, well, I think, it's not, you've admitted then, God is not verifiable. Confusing is God verifiable? Is it? Is the Christian God verifiable? The answer is no. It's not empirically verifiable. And then you're saying, well, that's not a problem. There's other ways to know. Great. Demonstrate a way to know that this thing exists then. So you have a different yeah. way that and is I mean, non-empirical. So is it empirically verifiable? Yes or no? The existence of God? Yeah. The Christian God, specifically, yes. I need a more specific definition of what you mean by empirical. This is empirical. See this? That's empirical. Okay, you got that for God? Here's God. Where is it? I can't see it. Clear enough for you? Yeah, that's great. I think you're, once again, we're confusing categories here, Dan. No, there is um, no category. That's the problem. For any sense of like a polytheist. The problem with hey God is. Can, that can you hey, just not interrupt real me? Quick. Yeah, real quick, guys, let's try to um, not talk over each other. Let's try to finish each other's points. Even if it doesn't pertain to exactly what you're saying, just when he's done, come back to him and correct him. Okay, let's not try to talk over each other, okay? Appreciate it. Wow. Okay, Dan. So once again here, I think what we're dealing with is different categories. For example, I have this pen right here. I'm not arguing that God is material like this pen. Um, this pen uh -huh. has physical properties. Uh, we can observe it, things like that. I don't think that God is material. Um, I don't think you'd see a fine atheist that would say God is material like this pen. Um, and even another thing I want to bring up here is that our experiences with observing things can be subjective. For example, um, <laughs> we had that famous, you know, meme thing a few years ago. I think it was in oh. middle school. What color is the dress? Um, you know, the dress is gold, by the way. But uh, that it just it shows that our senses aren't always reliable and by figuring out what's true. So I think what you, the issue here, Dan, is you wanting empirical evidence in terms of like, I'm not arguing that God is like a contingent thing. This remote is contingent. This pen is contingent. I would say that God is a necessary being. He's not contingent on another thing. Um, no. What you're bringing up is contingent things. You're, you're no. confusing categories here. No, no. God's an object of the mind. It exists up here, but that's it. And so it can be anything you want it to be. That's the thing is it's a category that doesn't exist. It's here. That's it. It's not out here. If it was out here, we could, it would, it, it could clarify all of this and join the hangout and say, Hey guys, here I am. This is what I'm like, but it doesn't do that ever. And so you, you say there's some other way that's beyond empirical, beyond verifiable, beyond testable, beyond, well, okay, I'll grant, I'll give you, know, you need another way, you need a, another category because you recognize it's not verifiable. So there, you're arguing, well, but there's other ways. Well, what's the other way? What methodology are you proposing here?
Okay, so I think that this is a good question you bring up, you know, if something isn't necessarily empirically verifiable, how can you know something else exists? Well, for example, if we look at history, there's different ways of verifying something without physically seeing something. Obviously, I'm not arguing um, that God is a historical event. Um, I think logical proofs, you know, I think that we, we do proofs in geometry for a reason. If we have the premises and the premises are logical and they fit with reality, then in the conclusion follows from the premises and the conclusion will be true. I brought multiple logical proofs into this debate that I'm willing to discuss with you. Um, and that's another way that you can verify if something is true or not. So I think yeah. that, yeah, I'll leave it at that, Dan. Well, that, that falls under a repeatable test then, you understand. Because you have certain axioms, you should have certain so. things. That, because you, you can repeat the test, A equals A, and you can repeat that test and see that it works every time. You can say A plus B is C, and you can repeat that test and see if it works every time. And, and because it works every time, you're like, well, okay, I, I, I can be pretty confident that the next time I use the formula correctly, that it's going to work as, as it should. And if it doesn't, then then something probably went wrong with my mathematics in, in this case that I'm thinking of, uh, rather than the formulas. We, we've tested these formulas and seen that they work. Although granted there are unsolved mysteries, if you will, in mathematics where there's ideas out there that nobody has resolved if, if these, these ideas are true yet. Uh, although somebody will win a whole bunch of money when they do that. Uh, so, but we have a repeatable test there with that system. So even in logic, you have different ideas that you have formulas for, and you can test those formulas with the truth table and discover that they work. And then once you discover that they work, then you can be fairly sure that, that they'll continue to work in the future. But none of these require an other category to exist. They just work, and we can demonstrate that they work by repeated testing. That would be my second tier, the repeated test. So what repeated test do we have upon the Christian God to make? Okay, so let's talk about some of these arguments, Dan. Like you talk about this idea, once again, about the repeatable test, something that most philosophers that, um, at least when I was doing research, have discarded that you need a repeatable test to verify something's existence. I'd be curious, um, if you could find some philosophers of science who would agree with you that you need a repeatable test to confirm that something exists. So um, with that being said, uh, let's talk about one of these arguments. Uh, let's talk about the cosmological argument. Um, you referenced the Kalam being debunked. I didn't even bring up the Kalam, um, so I don't really know why you mentioned that. It's kind of Well, you, you said it's debate. kind of like the Kalam in your opening. Well, it's similar to the quantum in that it necessitates around a, there being a first cause. And if there's a first right. cause, then we can come to some sort of being that resembles what we see in the Christian That, God that itself Bible. is uncaused, um, thus so creating a special pleading for itself, right? No, that's not a, that's a very common misconception about the cosmological argument. If I were saying that God was a contingent being... Um, right, which you have no that example would be special, of. That would be... That, that would be can I finish? Mm. If I was saying God was a contingent being, that would be special pleading. When did I say that God is a contingent being? Well, see, the, the, the problem is, you know, well, there's many problems with the cosmological argument, e e even the one you had, which was 
I don't know what version it was, but it was rather broken. It relies upon a beginning of the universe, which there isn't. That it, it's, it's incomprehensible to say begin when you don't have time. And then it also relies on cause and effect, which is not necessarily always the case, especially in quantum physics. And at the very near beginning of the universe, we have no idea if cause and effect was even a thing or applicable in that sense. And even if it did, that wouldn't mean, therefore, there's a cause. We, we still have a mystery. And then you couldn't extrapolate what that cause would be, even if you satisfied all the conditions. You still have no idea what the cause is. You go, well, it's a cause. And you go, well, and it must be this. Well, how do you know that? You don't know that. You're just asserting that. And that's, the, that's what apologists have done. That's why these arguments are broken, because there's no proof of them at all. And all you can do is appeal to philosophers. Oh, some philosopher said whatever. Who cares? Is it true or not? That's what matters. I didn't appeal to anybody. The argument stands or fails on its own merits. Dan, uh, let's go. Let's go to a different. Yeah, I think you have this misconception of what an appeal to authority fallacy is. Sure, um, educate for me example, on logic. I'm guessing would you be. Well, I think what we're dealing with here is your version of what is logic and what is... Um, no, there's only what is what logic. It's no my version or your version. There's only what logic is or isn't. There is no well, okay. version of it. Yeah, the laws of logic are the laws of logic. I would agree with you. We have an agreement there. Um, the laws of logic are the Thank laws of logic. Thank goodness for but that. I do think it's your... It's, it's, we can agree. Um, but we have. I feel like what we have is your version of philosophy versus what generally the philosopher's consensus on what philosophy okay, is. Okay, now... A general philosophy... Yeah, go. All right. The, the, okay, you talk about a consensus. You would have to dem you'd have to show that over all the zillions of philosophers, I don't know, thousands, tens of thousands, to get a general consensus, you'd have to have a large amount of them all agree that X is true, and you'd have to show the data on that. So, do you have a a a a paper that has all that data compiled, or is it just well, it's out there, go find it? Yeah, I think it's a fair question. I think if I said that there must be consensus, I misspoke. Um, that's not true. But I do think in certain areas that with what you're saying, that there would be a majority of philosophers that would disagree with you. For example, I have a quote here from Elliot Sober. He's a philosopher of science from, I believe, the University of Wisconsin. And here's what he writes. He says, many philosophers of science think that there can be no, quote, criterion of testability. Um, it isn't just that philosophers have so far failed to figure out what testability amounts to, rather the idea that there is no such thing. Um, so what I have here, we're going back to your original thing, is the idea of testability isn't even accepted among many, um, according to this quote, many philosophers of science. So I don't see why you necessitate on, for example- well, that, that's, that's one guy saying that a whole bunch of people that we still don't have list of data of, we don't know how many people agreed and also wouldn't matter how many people agreed because that's appeal to uh, you know, uh, uh, numbers appeal to majority. Thank you. Uh, you know, so we have one guy saying, yeah, sure. The majority also agree with me. Well, of course you would say that all the people, all the skeptics and atheists on my channel always agree with everything I say. Therefore I must be right. Well, not everything I say, but most of the things I say, most of the time they all agree. So, but it's not, that's not an argument. So one guy says this, who cares? He disagrees. I don't care what 
what method are we going to utilize to discover that X is true, whatever X is? And if you don't want empirical methodology, which, by the way, you don't have, and I'm waiting for you to say that, you know, yes or no on that, uh, and we don't have a test, which we don't have, and we don't have a valid and sound argument, which I don't think we have, then what else do you propose as a methodology that we can reliably use every time to discover that X is true. And this is something that, yeah, philosophers have lots of comments on that, but who cares? We need one that's demonstrably demonstrable to work. Okay, so there's a, I think there's a, an important misconception here. Maybe you're misconceiving this quote that I'm giving you. This quote I'm giving you isn't from, for example, I played basketball in high school. I'm not, it's not some Joe Schmo. Dan, it doesn't even seem like you're willing to listen to what I have to say. Um, but for, for the audience, I will continue to say what I have to say. Um, for example, it seems like Dan's kind of portraying this quote like it's a guy off the street being like, yeah, dude, I dropped a thousand points back in high school and I was a good basketball player and there's no one to back up what he's saying. Um, that kind of seems like Dan, how Dan's portraying this quote here. That's, I mean, in no, I don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't care who he is or what, uh, how often he's done philosophy. That's completely and wholly irrelevant. Doesn't matter. Either either what he said is true or it's not true. But where's the data to confirm that it's true? Well, we don't have that. So it, did he gather up all these other people to to that that happened to agree with him? We don't even have that. But even if we did, so what? What methodology is he suggesting then? Great, he's saying this doesn't always work. Okay, fine. What else do you have then? And without that, we don't we don't have anything. What method is there? And that's what we keep you keep dancing around, and you still haven't answered that question to my to I don't think to anybody's satisfaction, other than people that already believe in magic and in miracles, anyway. So I'm just I'm so just maybe waiting. you should actually like what what philosophers of science have you read from to come up with your idea that. For, for studying the existence of God that we need a repeatable test? None. I don't read philosophers. I don't care what they have to say. That's irrelevant. You don't care what philosophers See, have to no, say? No, I don't, I don't care because either it's true or it's not true. And so some guy somewhere that, that does philosophy, which is just thinking about stuff, they might come up with something that's true on accident, but what methodology did they use to get to that truth? That's what matters to me. You know, Bernard Russell, who I quoted, he's a pretty smart guy. Now, is he a philosopher? No, he was a scientist first and foremost. You know, he came up with Russell's teapot, which we could say now lies in the domain of philosophy. But what he said was, ask yourself only what is the truth and what are the facts that bear out that truth? And you've alluded to this, that we have facts that we can't verify because they're history. Okay, so we can't verify anything about God because it's all in the past. Why then we got and because it's magical, because we have these extra elements that we've never demonstrated to be the miracle parts, then we should be skeptical of the miracle parts, which means that God is mythology. That's my only point. And I mean, you can come, you can say that, well, other people disagree with me. That's fine. What methodology do you want to use then? You can use whatever you want. Just how does it work? What is it? How does it function? 
Yeah, I think you're trying to look at this. You're trying to put this question of does God exist? Obviously, we're not talking about the Christian God specifically. Hopefully, we can get to that in the last few minutes we have. But you're trying to put this in the scientific box when it's really more of a philosophical question. Um, it's funny that you say that you don't care what philosophers think. Like, I think that's a very uh, problematic thing. Like, for example, uh, do you? I'm curious. Do you, do you care what historians think? Do you care what sci- evolutionary scientists think? Do you care what climate change scientists think? I, 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 I only think care what is to, true. That's what I care about. Well, okay, when I true, say I don't care what they... Be able to find what is true. If they found what's true, that's great. Then I care about that, but I don't care about them. The person saying it isn't relevant. That's the point that maybe uh, I overstated, perhaps. But, you know, you, you know this, this, is, this is common with apologists where they just... I don't know. They, uh, whatever. I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's asking again, the same question that I've been asking is what's the methodology you want to use and how does that work? Because fine, wh- have at it. People disagree with, with t- testing and empirical evidence. Fine. Okay. Well, what do we have in its place then? How do we know that it's true? That's what I keep asking. And you're saying it's a category mistake or whatever. Maybe you have a better one. Okay. Um, so I, what I want to do is I want to give my thoughts here, and then you can give your thoughts, give the last word on this, Dan. I'm willing to give that to you. And then I want to talk to you about Christianity a little bit because we've been doing this big circle over epistemology for the past 30 minutes. Um, once you get understood, you don't care what philosophy thinks. I find that That's very not what I said. Um, but go ahead. Well, you said that you don't care what philosophers think, Dan. Um, and I'm willing to give you the last word if you just wouldn't interrupt me. Um, so once again here, I think at the end of the day with these methodologies, I just want to say this. I think that the box of just looking for empirical verification, first off, philosophers of science, many of them now don't accept that something needs to be empirically verified or testable. Um, even if so, that's a empirical verifiability is primarily using the philosophy of science, not in the philosophy of religion. This is separate categories we're looking at. And that's why we need argumentation and things along those lines. But I one, there's a lot of other points I want to get to, and we only have about 10 minutes. So I'll give you the last word on this, Dan, and then I want to move on to a different question. Well, it's, it's like I've said over and over again, we don't have empirical evidence or a repeatable test, and my opponent just doesn't seem to be willing or able to admit to this, and instead wants to complain about it. Just admit that there's none. Okay, let's move on. What do you got then? Yeah, this is a philosophical argument. Great. Magic exists. That's a philosophical argument. So how do we determine if it does or doesn't? We don't, and so far, no methodology was ever offered by my otherwise worthy opponent. So I'll leave it to you, audience. Okay, I said I gave you the last word, Dan. So I'm going to give you the last word um, on that. One of the things that you said, very troubling to me, is you said that some Christians believe Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Um, mm-hmm. You said that in your rebuttal. What well, Christians? Yes. Oh, goodness, it's been years. Uh, I'd have to look it up. Uh, so I, off the top of my head, I, I don't know the group's name. I just am vaguely aware that there was a Christian group that didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead. So I can't name that. So therefore you should be skeptical of my statement and I'll withdraw it formally for this particular argument. I can look it up for you later, which I certainly will, but I'll withdraw it for now because I don't know the answer. So.
Okay, so you were saying that claim for now? For now, yes. Okay, uh, you, you talk another question here. We're talking about the minimal facts. You say that they're or, or legends copied off stories. You, you consider the gospel of mythology? Of course. So why does so? For, let's take for example, and I believe it's John five with the pool of Bathsheba, um, mentioned in John five, a five-sided pool uh, in, in Jerusalem. They during excavations, they found a couple, found a couple of these five-sided pools. They kind of line up with exactly what it was saying in the Gospel of John. So is the Gospel of John still mythology? The parts of it that are not mundane are mythology by nature. The pool might be real. It might be verifiable. It might be something that we found. Great. There's plenty of kings and cities in the Bible that you can verify. That's granted. Those parts are not, not in the category of myth, although they might be a myth. They might not be, but because the mythology is only there as a category whenever it makes claims that are not mundane in nature. So uh, uh, locations can exist, you know, trees can exist, no problem with that. So I would tentatively grant all of the mundane claims that the Bible has. Uh, in fact, who was it, Jefferson that wrote that, the version of the Bible without the the supernatural stuff or something like that but yeah i would I, uh, sure but i think that answers your question <laughs> okay um where do you get this definition so you, you you consider the parts of the bible mythology are the parts that are supernatural is that is that your view yes essentially that would be that would be i don't think it's just my view i think that that's how we have to categorize any history including this uh, anything that, that is mystical, magical, supernatural, whatever the whatever you want to call it, would be categorized as mythology. Be why? Why? Because we that's how we categorize it. I can't give you a better why than that. That's just how we do it. Who's but I guess we. we? Oh, that's a good question. I suppose. Uh, I, I suppose you would say those those of us that. Uh, uh, want to understand history the best that we can even hope to understand such a subject i suppose i, I, I want to understand me. history the best that i can and i disagree with you well you disagree that the bible's mythology but other religions zoroastrianism for example you might think that's mythology or you might think that you know what came before zoroastrianism you know some zeus and some hercules stuff that that's mythology so certainly there's mythology out there, right? Sure, I would agree with you, but I don't think that I'm literally going to look at, for example, I just finished reading the Quran. Um, I don't just read it and dismiss it at all as, oh, that's all a bunch of mythology. I actually look into the claims um, and I don't just rule them out um, because I disagree with them as mythology. I actually want to look at these claims. And it seems like to me, Dan, when's the last time that you read the, the New Testament cover to cover? That's irrelevant. I'm not going to answer that question. How is that irrelevant? We're debating, does the Christian God exist? And you're saying that there's a book of mythology that you haven't read. It is a read. book. It is, it's, it's, it, well, I haven't read it. Yeah, that's great. Good, good straw man there. I, I refuse to answer the question. It's irrelevant. I mean, you haven't well, answered many of my questions, so this is my revenge. Okay, Dan, you know what? You know what? Give me your questions. We have four minutes left. 
two minutes. Well, what was your, me- your what's question. your me- what methodology do you use to determine that something is supernatural? I told you before. If if you look at, I like to Lewis's definition of a miracle. He considers a miracle, or you could substitute miracle for supernatural event as an event in which uh, na- the natural laws are intervened by a supernatural force. Um, so an event that wouldn't occur if the normal laws of nature were just in play and that's all there was. That would, If an event occurs that would not happen, um, if there were just those laws of nature, that would be a supernatural event uh, by okay. my definition. Okay, then how do you know when you, I, the rest of humanity, observe event X, whatever that is, and we say, how, what are we using to determine that that event broke the laws of nature, et cetera? What would be our methodology? Sure. Well, it's not necessarily broke the laws of nature. It's an event that occurs that wouldn't have occurred if just the normal laws of nature were in place. It doesn't have to directly break the laws of nature, in my view, for it to be um, what I would consider a miracle. Uh, or, I mean, there's different definitions here, um, but a supernatural force doesn't have well, to break the laws of nature for a supernatural event to occur. Let, let, let's make it a little simpler, I guess. Um, I, I gave the example of my lo- lovely lobster here levitating. So can, can, your God lo- lobster. Yeah. can your God levitate this off of my hand right now? And will it? I mean, I would say he can, but not necessarily will he. Okay. Would any supernatural entity, force, etc., ever levitate this thing off of my hand well what do you mean by define supernatural anything that you want it to be okay just could anything anything levitate this thing off of my hand yeah i mean we could literally just say if we just describe it in natural terms we could say the wind um could blow it off your hand and levitate it for a second so i'm confused with exactly with what you're saying i don't know if the wind could not inside that would be kind of weird but uh, no, I'm just asking you, you know, this would be something that, that perhaps we would say, if it did, if it went off my hand during this, that would be pretty amazing. I would, I would say that that's a miracle, although I would have problems with saying why it's a miracle. But if it did float off my hand, I would consider that a bona fide miracle. But I still wouldn't know exactly how it is I would say that it's a miracle. After all, it could be Maybe there was, well, if there was wind, I'd feel that, but maybe, uh, you know, aliens came or whatever. Maybe the invisible man picked it up or something. But if it did levitate off my hand, which it won't, that would be amazing. Yet, here it sits, waiting. Go ahead, God. The two or more gathered in your name, anything will happen. Jesus says something like this. So, Jesus. We've got at least two people well, here. That, levitate, uh, levitate this lobster off my hand, Jesus. In your holy name, Jesus. Then, I'm being sincere. Non- Lord God, Lord in heaven. Okay. Levitate this then, off my hand. What- nothing, nothing. Not happening. Okay. Well, you, you quoted verses terribly out of context. That's a whole other discussion. Um, we, we have one minute left, Dan. Can I ask okay, you one minute. Questions? Ask me, awesome. ask me anything question? you want. I don't necessarily have the answers. I don't pretend to have answers that I don't have like the Bible does, but go ahead and ask. You believe the only things that we can believe in are things that are empirically verified? No, I did not say that. 
then why do you insist on empirical verifiability for the existence of God? I said, well, first, there's three things to remember. Empirical evidence, repeatable test, a valid and sound argument. Those are the three things that I, one of those three things is what I need for any claim. Any claim at all. It doesn't have to just be God. But every and any claim, I would want one of those three things. That's it. And if you, if you, if you have a fourth idea, I'd love to hear it. Tom. <sighs> okay, so what we're going to go to next is a five-minute closing for each statement. And, and Harry, whenever you're ready, your time is, starts now. Awesome. Well, I just want to say again, thank you, Hunter, for moderating. Thank you for Dan for debating. It's been a fun time. I've enjoyed this time. Uh, and for praise for doing all the work behind the scenes. A uh, couple thoughts here I just want to give. First off, I just want to say that we're looking at Dan's version of what would be considered evidence versus what philosophers definition is of what would be considered evidence. I'd encourage people that if you want to look at what is actually considered evidence for anything or for the existence of God, just look, just look at a little bit of the basics, just a Stanford Encyclopedia of philosophy. I'd encourage Dan to do the same thing. Don't just go off of what comes into your head or what a YouTube person tells you, including me. Just look at what the actual scholars say. Um, so it's, I feel like I spent most of the time in that debate, in that area of the debate. But I do want to say once again, uh, the cosmological argument went unchallenged. Dan just kind of said it's mm. been debunked, but then never really gave any reason for it. Fine tuning, once again, not even challenged. Um, no argument given against it. Uh, the argument from Miracle Dan really just questioned how we could test these, but I gave examples from peer reviewed literature written by doctors. Um, no sort of formal uh, objection I thought was satisfactory. Um, so, and we, in the Christianity DM just misrepresented Bible verses and things out of context, just really, um, it was kind of annoying to see. Um, so there's that. So I, I'm very confident that the Christian God exists. I thank you for Dan. I just want to say this time, a couple of things to bring up in terms of social justice, because I'm really, this means a lot to me. Um, I just want to say, Keep your guys's, if you pray, keep your prayers and keep your thoughts for the people that, in Lebanon with what happened, very tragic. And then I think that obviously Dan and I disagree on a lot, but I do think that we should be fighting oppression wherever it takes place. And I'd encourage everyone to look at what's going on with the Uyghur Muslims in China. Very sad thing, not necessarily related to this debate, but I think an important thing everyone should be aware of. But with that, I thank you for everyone for being a part of this debate, tuning in, looking forward to your questions. Please try to question me or Dan as hard as you can. Let's raise as much money for charity. And that's it. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for that. And just real quick for everybody to know that if you want to check out the uh, feeding for children of poverty, uh, the description is in the, I'm sorry, the link is in the description below. And again, don't forget to check out the uh, both speakers today, uh, as well as we have the um, both my link in the description as well as praise. So if you feel um, like, you know, we're some okay guys, go ahead and check out our channels too. We'd like to support. And Deacon Verdeman, uh, whenever you're ready, your time starts. Well, the primary thing that I focused on in this particular argument was an object of the mind versus uh, anything else. And um, it's potentially... Uh, challengeable the way that I threw together my syllogism. I'll certainly grant that. Might have to rework it a bit. Um, 
because I can be wrong and you can be wrong. We can all be wrong. And that's a good thing because then we learn something new. The problem I see, broadly speaking, with the idea of God is God can never be wrong. So whatever you think God told you to do can't be wrong. And so you have to do it. That's a scary thought, because if you think God told you to kill me, well, I'd rather you not. But that's what you think God said. And of course, if my God thinks that you shouldn't wear a hat on Sunday, but your God demands that we wear hats on Sunday, well, now we have to go to war. That's a very, very, very scary thought. God as a concept might be very useful, but it's also very dangerous. We should be willing to challenge whatever we care about most dear. If that's God or politics or whatever it might be, even my own methodology, I'm certainly happy to challenge that uh, because it is only by being skeptical can we uncover whatever the truth is. And may lobsters be with us always. Yes, that's all. And lobsters, yes, sounds good. <laughs> all right with that being said we're going to go ahead and go to the q a and guys uh, appreciate all the super chats what we're going to do is go to those first if you have a super chat you want to send in go ahead and send it in now and uh, send it to at modern day debates we'd love to get in touch with all of you guys and get all the as many questions as we can so please feel free to send those in and with that i'll go to the first one from germania thank you for that super chat it says here, according to the Bible, everyone is born into sin. Is it possible to not sin? Is it possible to not sin? Does that mean free will doesn't exist? And inherent, I think that one's maybe for you. And to give it a minute if you want to answer this way, you can. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a really good question. I mean, I think that the two are compatible. There's a lot of theologians that you would agree that the two are compatible. I mean, we're born into sin, but we choose to sin every single day. So I don't really see the two as some sort of contradiction. Um, it's definitely a good question, though. But no, I don't think there's any sort of contradiction between the idea that we're born into sin um, and free will. Well, my answer so was, question, oh, I'm sorry. I thought, okay, no, you're fine. Are we both answering the same questions, no matter yeah, who sure. it's aimed at? Or, uh, if I, you I, want I, to, yeah, that's totally fine. I was I'd love gonna, to do it. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no, you're fine. You're fine. I was just going to say, the question is, is it possible to not sin? And then there is a comma. Does that mean free will doesn't exist? So I think you might be asking, is it impossible to not sin? And if so, does that mean that huh. free will doesn't exist? You know, the kind of idea if, you know, is it possible to not sin? And doesn't mean free will doesn't exist. You kind of get the question. I know yeah, it's a little I, confusing. No, no, I was I was making sure that Zach didn't want to readdress the the thing or whatever. Uh, well, you know, I don't think sin is a thing at all, and I think that's a made up idea. But if I was to tap into my uh, roots as a Christian, I would have said uh, that yes, it's it's possible to not sin because supposedly Jesus never sinned. So being born into sin must be some other category that's kind of like well but jesus wasn't born into sin because god put him there magically or teleported i don't really sure how jesus was supposedly conceived it's, uh, there's some biblical questions about that but but regardless uh you, yeah I would, I would say that you it would 
theologically, you could say it would be possible to not sin. Not that I care about theology. Uh, I think that sin is an idea that that was come up with, and then a cure was offered. I don't think that we're born into sin. We're born into this world at this time. Goodness only knows why. And we have to do the best that we can uh, to help each other and ourselves make it through it. And also hiker mania. All right. With that being said, okay, I'll go to the next one from Dave Dalafir. I'll probably butcher that, but sorry for that. You you know who you are. And thanks for the super chat. He says, G-Man wins. Okay. Even though he's not in the debate, in terms of time off, he still wins no matter what. The next one is also from Dave. Um, he says, again, again, thanks for the super chat. He says, Jesus doesn't like bunk beds. Don't know why, but apparently he likes to make that claim. <laughs> I mean, there were no bunk beds in first century Palestine, so. Um, okay. Apparently, he knows more about Jesus than Testament scholars. So, SpongeBob SquarePants, thanks for the super chat. Appreciate you. Pineapple on the sea. Um, from Jesus is Lord. Thanks for the super chat. It says, apologetics, apologetics equals excuses. And so, how would you respond to that? Apologetics equals excuses. I mean, it's just a claim. There's no evidence for that. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have any sort of like, I wouldn't find, there's no apologist saying that we're just trying to make excuses for why we believe what we believe. We're giving a rational justification for why we believe what we believe. Um, and even philosophers, the quote they gave earlier would agree with that same exact thing that they would agree that religion can be logical. It doesn't necessarily make it right but I, I believe oh I think you froze on us again there you go she's back there you go my back what what did you hear what I said or did you miss what I said go ahead and say it again I'm the moderator now. well I, <laughs> I would just you say that that's not, it's just a claim there's if you want to say that all apologists are dishonest and making excuses for why they believe what they believe i think you should really reassess what apologists are actually doing and who they are um because that's not really true that's all i have to say i would i would say the word in and of itself uh means to give a defense of um and and it might be that some people that are engaged in theological apologetics offer excuses, uh, but then we'd have to determine how we tell an excuse from an explanation. And so we have to have some sort of system there to, to, to decide between the two. All righty. Okay, the next one is from Miss Metal. Thanks for the super chat. It says, God is an idea that has existed since ancient man to explain away things not understood through science. We know better now. Religion is an outdated idea. Anybody want to respond? No. I, respond. Exactly. I mean, if, if that's all you think that religion is, I'd really be curious where you're getting these ideas from. I mean, nowhere in my arguments or anything do that. Do we lose them again? There you go. Try again. Oh, I'm so sorry, guys. My internet is kind of shaky. I guess that's what happens when I'm away from college. Um, but I mean, if you just think that 
I know where my argument is that I say, I don't know, therefore God. Um, and if you think that's all that religion is, I'd be challenging you to look into it a little bit more because I don't think that, at least the people I'm around, they don't say, well, I don't know this, therefore God. I know there's some people that may do that, but that's not, that's, that's a very generalization of Christians and apologetics in general. So, Well, I'd say there's certainly religions that don't have God. So religion is a structure of sorts. And it might be that humans... Uh, broadly speaking, need some sort of structure like this. Uh, there have been uh, and are atheist churches out there. Uh, it's a question of, of what we do with this gathering of people, if it's benign, good, or evil, and, and how we make sure that it stays benign or good rather than turn to evil. And so I think that these broad brush strokes, although a good meme, are not a good argument. Okay, so moving on. Uh, Germania, thanks for the super chat. Uh, question for Nika Vernon Man. How do you define morality? Morality is a subset of ethics. Uh, so depending on your ethical system will inform you of what morality would be in, in reflection of, of that. So the, I think that would be a, in a short how I would define it. I guess I'll make an hour long video about that later, Gur. <laughs> Alrighty. And Adherent, you can answer that. He's, yeah. How would you define yeah. morality? Was the question. Okay. How would I define morality? Our, yes. Or in or do you have a response to how deconverted man answered to that question since that question was directed at him? I mean, um, I'm good. It was a question for, for deconverted man. I don't really feel like I need to respond to him. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. From Jesus S. Lord, thanks again for the super chat. He states, we have photos of Lincoln. All right. Any response or anything? Well, we they had, had Photoshop of- back then. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking the same thing. Photoshop. Come <laughs> at me now. What's up? <laughs> no. Yeah, I'll, at I'll... least we have photos of Lincoln. Yeah, so that's, that's a good way to, to also add to the credibility of Lincoln. Um, we have photos that people associate with a man called Abraham Lincoln, but we don't know if that's actually Abraham Lincoln. We could doubt that that's just actually some other person. Um, you, you could. We're going to go that really skeptical route. We could, and I think that, yeah. That's yeah. It. Yeah, doubting that Abraham Lincoln didn't exist won't peril your soul to hell for all eternity. <clears throat> Moving on. <laughs> all righty. So the next one from uh, Dave, and I'm sorry if I butchered this name, but it's from Dave again. Dave, D-A-L-L-A-F-I-O-R. Or at least I can spell it. Delafior? <laughs> I don't know. Close enough. Okay, anyways. He says, define mental credit and in quotation that's for anybody if they want to take a shot at it say again i'm sorry you cut out for me the mental cripple mental cripple yeah in quotation marks no idea what that's referring to yeah same i don't want to make a comment i'm not yeah, I, I have. I'm not yeah. exactly sure what the question relevant, is. Asking. It seems like irrelevant to this topic. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> okay, the next one's from Jay Shy. Thanks again, or thanks for the super chat. The comment is: Deconverted man 
logical positive logical positivism is false. A statement that everything true needs empirical verification doesn't have empirical verification itself. How do you respond? Yeah, well, I don't argue for logical positivism, so it's an interesting point. I might make a video about logical positivism at some point, but I didn't. I didn't use it because I. I, th I think I had three different things, and one of them being a logically coherent argument. So I suppose you could say logic itself can't justify logic, although you would need an argument in logic to justify such a statement, which you don't have. But it's an interesting conundrum. Well, I, I don't think I use logical positivism, so it doesn't imply. Okay, Aaron, do you have anything? No, I'm um, good. That question was for Dan, so as many as okay. possible. Sounds good. Okay, and this one here is from God's Servant. And thank you for the super chat. He says, Jesus Christ is the truth. Acts 2.38 is the truth. Do any of y'all have any comment to that? Amen. Well, on the lobsterist, it uh, clearly says that the original deity was a lobster. So I'm going to go with the lobsterist on this one. All right. So another one from Jay Shai. Uh, deconverted seem to want to throw out philosophy. As if it can't prove anything, but your whole position is a presumption based on a metaphysics. God can't be proved by looking at subatomic particles. How do you respond? Well, I think this was an unfortunate misstep on my my words in this in this exchange of ideas. Uh, you know, I don't. It's very easy to misunderstand what I what I meant or what I thought I meant when I said I don't care what philosophers think. Uh, it's an awfully broad stroke, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll take my lump. Uh, the the metaphysics, if you will, of God are what I'm trying to ask what we have for it, because it is an admittance. We don't have empirical verifiability and or repeatable tests for it. Okay. So first we admit that, uh, then the question becomes, how do we know it's a thing? And we're gonna say, well, it's philosophy. Okay, great. But what system in philosophy? And there's only one system that I know of in philosophy, and that's logic. But logic requires you to be able to identify logical fallacies. So then how are you going to do that? And if you say, well, it's through more philosophy or, you know you have to have some answer to that so that's what i would say is that i think that you know i can say a logical argument that that seems valid uh, you know either my light is on or off lobsters exist therefore my light is on well that's incoherent but because of that you'd have to be skeptical of the conclusion even though you can see that my light is on but that's how logic functions is the, if the argument is unsound, you have to be skeptical of the conclusion. The conclusion might be true independent of that. Uh, so logic has its limits. I think that answers that question. Maybe, I don't know. Okay, okay. and Aaron, do you have a response? Yeah, I feel like this kind of goes back to the debate we had. And yeah. Is just logic. There's many subcategories of philosophy. We're going to go philosophy of mind, philosophy of religion, philosophy of time, philosophy of science, all kinds of different subsets in philosophy um, that we could go into. So I think Dan's whole methodology is just flawed. Um, he wants 
a repeatable. He want he seems like again he just wants this repeatable test or something like that. And like like the super chat said, we're not looking for God. Like we're looking for the sharpie here. The existence of God is a metaphysical claim. It's not a claim within um, physical reality of something that's contingent. For example, like uh, this remote or the highlighter. So. Awesome. Okay, and the next one here is from Dave Delafer. I'm just going another way with it, seeing if I get closer. Um, for he says double A, but this is for Ed Heron. Uh, says double A needs a twelve step program. Do you have any response to it? No. Okay. If you need to mock Moving me, on. good for you. All right. Moving ahead. on. Don't insult the person and attack the argument. All right. So from Blastermaster80, thanks for the super chat. Um, at AA, do you think your arguments are persuasive to think, or I'm sorry, to those that don't already believe as you do? And why do you think that is the case? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, I think my arguments are persuasive. If the, if the premises are true and the conclusion follows from the premises, then I think we'd have to accept the conclusion. Um, because there are lots of different people who have accepted God because of logical arguments. You dig up all kinds of famous apologists today who are came from from atheistic backgrounds. I personally came to Christ after looking at some of these arguments. So I think they can be persuasive. Um, obviously, different people like Dan and I can look at these things and come to different conclusions and we can debate, you know, how we got there. But yeah, in general, I think that they can be persuasive. So yeah. All right. And Dick Vernerman, do you have any response? Well, you know, being persuaded is is different. Uh, it's it's more in the realm of the subjective thing. Uh, but if you utilize a system like logic and formal logic or formalized logic, uh, you're you're going to have to run it through the gambit of that to see whether it's valid or sound. And if it is, then you investigate further because you might actually be wrong anyways. So then you look into the matter further. So I, I view I view it as a, a way to shortcut, say, okay, that argument was unsound. I don't have to believe that. It might be true, but I'm not going to spend time on it. So if the argument happened to be sound and valid, or, or, or at least one of those, then you might spend some time to investigate the matter. And it might be interesting to investigate it just because, you know, I, I'm bored. I'm going to look into it. You know, why not? So. Gotcha. Well, that would conclude the uh, chats. Um, thanks again for all the super chats. We really do appreciate it. Also, uh, just again, thanks again to both of our speakers today. Uh, Y'all been awesome. And thanks, Praise, for, you know, working the background and make sure everything runs, you know, pretty good. It seems like everything ran good on my end here. Um, and thanks again, everybody, for coming on and checking it out. Uh, we love you guys so much. We appreciate all of the support that we're getting. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And also, don't forget to check out in the description, uh, you have the links to both of our speakers and to mine and Praise's channel as well. Uh, be sure to, to, you know, check those out, subscribe and like. And we appreciate everybody. And as always, you guys have a great evening and take care.